Hungarian illusionist once said, what the eye sees and the ears hear, the mind believes. It's pretty profound, and we might ask ourselves, why might that be the case? Because deceit operates on the want to have this be so. Because we want what we see to be true, we take it into ourselves as if it were true. And belief in deceitful narratives, if not recognized, can be a very crippling and destabling uh, pastime for us as people in this world. And it should not be granted really any space. If we can identify deceit, we ought to eschew it and not allow it to take our hearts captive in any way, shape, or form. Again, I don't really have to sell you on the concept of deceit. Uh, it's all around us, uh, even this week. Uh, the United States Senate voted to codify same-sex marriages, which are not marriages at all. Uh, in fact, they even used a very deceitful label for their bill called the Respect for Marriage Act. Think about that for a moment, and you realize how much deceit there is all around us. Uh, Deception really just oozes from every pore of this world that we live in. And there are really so many psychological or philosophical films that are made on this theme of trying to discern what is real and what is not real. Uh, how do we know what our senses perceive as being real and what's, what's not real? Uh, maybe you are familiar with The Matrix. That is one of those films that tries to cause you to question everything around you. Uh, Often these, these films move in one of two directions. One is you feel a great sense of empowerment that you, you know what other people don't know, or you become so crippled by the thought, I can't know anything at all. And both of those are actually not very helpful outcomes of those kinds of films as much as we might enjoy them. Second John offers us a better way to perceive the world around us and to assess what is true and what is not true. And this morning I want to lead us through the first six verses to help us to understand that we can know what is real and what is not. We can know how to live in a deceitful world, and how to live is how to love in a deceitful world. There's a little bit of a play on my sermon title in this this morning, because love is the way in which we are able to discern what is true and what is not true. And to overcome deception, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. This is so important for us. I felt led by God through this fall, recent events, to bring us as a church family to think about this truth from this text. I hope this will be helpful for all of us. The letter of 2 John, as I said, is a little letter in every sense of the term. It's uh, sometimes, some have called it the postcard epistle uh, because it is so short. Uh, there are 245 Greek words uh, that make up this text, and it could have fit cleanly on just a single piece of papyri. It, just, it could just be like a postcard, 
In fact, the closing words of verse 12, did you, did you kind of kind of grin when you saw that? About, um, you know, I don't want to waste uh, paper and ink. I'd rather see you face to face. It's almost like you were hearing, with love from London. You know, I'm, I'm going to be home soon, and I'm going to see you face to face. And uh, yet I want to impress upon you the significance of truth and love and the connection that are intertwined in this text, all three little epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all together weave these two pieces together. Flip back in your Bible, maybe probably one page, one page to the end of 1 John 5, verse 20, the last two verses, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols, idols, false truths, untruths, now we come back over to 2 John. Take a look at just the first two verses again with this frame of thinking. Verse 1 says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, peace, will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Turn over to 3 John, just probably right across the page. 3 John, verse 3 and 4. He says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And in this center little postcard letter, there is this kind of bringing together of the truth and love and how they mix and how they help us assess the world around us and avoid deceit. Paul asked, or excuse me, Pilate, Pilate asked Jesus, when Jesus was standing before him, likely with a crown of thorns, what is truth? And at that time, Pilate's question is very cynical. Maybe less cynical is that of Abraham Lincoln, who wondered about the two sides of our U.S. Civil War, in which he said both read the same Bible, they pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. How do we know what is true and absolute and in the mind of God? How do we know that we have found the truth when there is so much deception all around us? Well, verses 1 through 3 show us that truth is found in the love of God in God's love. 
The love of God is profoundly exclusive to Christianity. It is exclusive to our way of faith. No other religion speaks of God as a plural unity, and that matters. In 1 John 4, 8, John said, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. This is very profound and often overlooked that if God were not a triune being, then He would not love at all. God loves because He exists as a triunity. Why? Because love is not love unless it has an object by which to show affection for. Love that is only expressed for oneself is narcissism. Secular humanism is like a religion and says, well, love is love. You've heard that. But that is not true because in a non-binary relationship in which there is sameness, there is not the love for the other as reflected inside of the being of God. The triune God designed uh, marital love to be expressed in a binary gender relationship. Love expressed for someone that's not quite like you that you have to work to bring emotion out of yourself for the other person who is not like you genetically. Verse 3, there is this, an expression of the Trinitarian nature of our God, and that's just, that, that was kind of a preface explanation to how our love is unique as Christians. But in verse 3, there is a Trinitarian glimpse of this in what John says. He says in verse 3, notice, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in love and in truth. Love that is shared between the Father for the Son and then the Son for the Father is expressed not just ideally, but in reality as a third person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's characteristic that we we see and experience is referred to in this verse as grace, mercy, and peace. These are expressions of the Holy Spirit that is shared that proceeds from the Father and also from the Son. John is in prototype explanation showing us the orientation of our love and the uniqueness of it. As I said, no other religion properly puts God as love. Uh, If you had spent a little bit of time with us this past fall thinking about the Trinity, uh, you'll remember the comment that Islam, Islam, Allah, has 99 names. And one of those titles is of, of love, the loving one. 
But Allah is a singular being. There is no place in eternity for him to express love out of himself and through a triune type of relationship. And that's a big problem. For Allah to be loving before there was a creation, then that means that he's narcissistic. That means that he's actually having no real reason in order to create in the first place. And this means that Allah is in the end dependent upon his creation for his own existence. Because if Allah needs to have something to love that's outside of himself, then he just implodes. You see, Islam, as you think about it, converts through, in its most radical forms, it converts through what? Through conquest. Genuine Christianity, if truly practiced and understood, depends upon the Holy Spirit to give a taste in people's hearts for the Son. And there is a beauty in that of a genuineness of real relational love. Now that, you might say, wow, in verse 3, we got all that from that? Well, there is a profundity to the love of God that is exclusive to us. Maybe a more familiar way that we often think about the love of God is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, in which Paul uh, says, uh, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now why might that be that love would be the greater of the three? Well, faith and hope They do serve a purpose, a temporary purpose, actually, but love is an eternal perfection of God that exists throughout all eternity and will never fade and will never go away. We live in a temporal world that anticipates by faith, hope, we have longings. And the temporal at times can cause us problems. The temporal can cause us to imagine that it will provide for us the eternal happiness that only God Himself can provide for us. Uh, One of the most devastating things that you can do is put great expectations on something that's not going to last. Uh, I, forgive me, maybe I've said this in other places, but we can, for example, put a lot of expectation on a vacation or like a cruise But you know what the most devastating day of the cruise is? It's hump day. It's when you realize, I gotta go back to reality. I've actually go back, I gotta go back. And for some people, that hump day occurs, maybe not on a cruise, but hump day is when you realize, wait a second, I'm counting down days now. I'm not, I've been counting up to 40, but now I'm counting down. Hump day can be a devastating experience if we put hope and faith in that which is temporal and not eternal. And the love of God is eternal. The love of God is reality. Everything else that we we touch is going to no longer be here, but the love of God abides forever. And the love of God is not deceitful because it is real. It is eternal. And so it's more blessed, for example, that we would give than to receive. 
as an expression of the divine love. We internally receive a happiness that can't quite be explained, that when we give away from ourselves, there is a blessedness, Jesus said, that is better than receiving something from others. Where does that come from? That is true life. That is reality. That is the love of God expressed. It's no wonder that these experiences are replicating the love of God because that's how God exists. Now, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy life. No, don't get me wrong. But we can put too much hope in that which is temporal. And this world uses that to its advantage to deceive us. We have to be so careful that we examine the world not with too much hope placed upon it for only that which God Himself uh, can give us and so that we're not easily deceived. There is another, and I I started in verse 3. We're going to go back to verses 1 and 2 for the second part of this, this idea, is that the love of God is found, and the truth of God is found in the love of God, but the love of God is visualized in the family of God. It's expressed beautifully within the family. John, who wrote this little letter, is an elderly man, and he is concerned for the next generation. He, he's, he's cautioning the church. He's worried, perhaps, if you will, in a fatherly way that, that they potentially could be deceived and taken advantage of. And he calls this uh, church, figuratively, the elect lady, uh, to be on the lookout for deceit and deceivers, verse 7. Uh, expresses his concern about uh, many deceivers have gone out into the world and to be careful. But notice how he talks about truth and how it is known to be real in verses 1 and 2. In verse verse 1, we see the one I love in truth. That is, truth lived out through the love that exists from God. In verse 1 as well, we, we see, um, and not I only, but also all who know the truth. This is truth that's believed internally. And because the truth that abides in us will be with us forever. That's, that's truth that abides in us, that's received from the Holy Spirit. And if only Pilate had, had, had been converted and become a Christian, he could have had an explanation for where, what truth is. He could have seen it in the family of God. He could have observed the love of God in the family of God. How do we know what is true even in the family of God and what's not merely infatuation, you know? How do we test the depth of love? I would say that you will know truth when you observe the triune God in people putting it into practice. We would say they're a Holy Spirit indwelled person, but what they're expressing are the elements that exist in God's being. And I want to encourage you to take time to reflect 
about the kinds of relationships that you have within the church because healthy discipling is so important. For example, in my vocational ministry training, probably about 15 years ago by this point, I began ministry training in the context of a local church which on the surface appeared healthy. I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about a church that I was a part of in Canada. And I observed a lot of physical exterior signs of what appeared to be success because of numbers, etc. But what I observed was, for example, patterns that I thought were normal, things like griping, gossiping. I saw ministry silos, people not working together. I saw cliques, and I just thought, this is the way it is. This is how we do ministry. And I watched a board appease power people and judge people's motives rather than going to them and asking them what they thought. They would sit back and disengage from other people, but I was being deceived in the process. I was being deceived. And when I did come to the tabernacle, I did see some of these patterns a few years ago, and I thought, I know what to do. I just know how to manage these groups and keep them apart, keep them distant, keep them satisfied. But what I observed did not prepare me to live out the love of God. And it's very important to assess truly what is truth and have the right expression and understanding of God's love. And so, to overcome deception in our lives, we have to keep ourselves, keep ourselves in the love of God. I want to give you two examples of how to keep yourself in the love of God. Practical helps. The church, when it is filled with the love of God, will look like unity and not uniformity. People do disagree over direction and decisions, but true love for one another is expressed through the unity that you would see in the diversity of God Himself. There is not a singular expression of who God is. He is the Father, the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit, but there is a unity there in the midst of that diversity. And this is so beautifully expressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the Son said to the Father, if there were some other way that we could atone for sin, the sin of the world, let us go in that direction. But then He quickly says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That is a beautiful expression of the unity in the midst of the diversity. You want to know what is true and what is false, then we look for the love of God. We look for the Spirit of God in a church family, and it is no small thing. It is no small thing that Christianity tells us in many of the epistles to put aside our differences, put aside our debates, put aside our doubtful practices, and be united to one another in love. Unity 
and not uniformity, is what projects to others the love of God. Second, the church, when it is filled with the love of God, will look like reconciliation. People do misunderstand one another. People do get, get offended by what they immediately first see. But should our approach be to write people off? We're not called to write off our fellow believers. Now, the church collectively may have to exercise a kind of discipline, to co- but that's on a corporate level. On individuals, we have to do the process of reconciliation. And as much as it lies within us, we ought to be seeking peace. We are to seek reconciliation. Now, there's some things that we can cover over, but if we feel a bitterness swell up within us, we need to go to those and make reconciliation. That's the love of God, and that's what it looks like. And if that becomes the normal practice of a church congregation, it will, it will, the light will not be contained. The darkness around us will see it, and it will be expressed. Now, reconciliation may require some things from us. It may be that we have to confess sin to the one we have sinned against, but there is also the need to, with forgiveness, be ready not to require debt repayment from another person that they cannot repay. Absorbing a loss that's done to you because Christ does not require you to pay the debt that you owe to Him. See, the love of God is found. It's found in God's nature. It's found in the church as it's operating properly, but the love of God is also found in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Verse 4 to 6, we see uh, expression of this truth. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Every parent has anxiety. We, we, we want the well-being of our children. We want, they start going off into the world, and you get a little parental anxiousness. Are they going to make the right decisions, and what, what are they going to do? And, and Elder John is no different. He's, he's, he's concerned. I know I quoted Lincoln a little while ago. I want to quote him again, but not in the context of prayer, but think about this as, as a church expression. Lincoln, on a national level, was thinking this way. He said, I know that the Lord is always on the side of the right, but it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and this nation or church may be on the Lord's side. Let me say that again. It is a pastoral anxiety that the church, this church, be on the side of right, that we be on the side of of the Lord. Verse 4, John speaks in elementary terms, and walking in the truth may feel elementary to us. He says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children. What does that mean? Did John find some but not others? Or were all those whom he had met 
that he found to be truly walking? How do we interpret this? Well, I think what is being interpreted here is that John is referring to those whom he has met personally, those who he has interacted with personally. He knows most of them, but he doesn't know all of them. And yet there is always that potential of some that he, he can't put his hands on, like he, 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 he feels like he knows most of them, but he can't put his hands on all of them. He's concerned that they wouldn't be deceived. And as a pastor, I, I know most of you, but I don't always know at what level your capacity is to assess the truth and untruth. And he's, he's concerned, as a normal parent would be, of, of, of those that might be out of reach. And I think John is referring to those in that way. And he's encouraging walking in the truth. Walking in the truth means what? It means keep walking in the truth. To not sit on the ground and give up. I've tried this walking thing, and it's not all it's cut out for me. I'm just going to sit here on the floor, and I'm going to cry. That sounds very elementary, doesn't it? But taking little children on long walks is not always advisable, right? Uh, we've tried that at times as parents, thinking, ah, they'll make it, and then what happens? You're carrying them on your shoulder, right? Walking in the truth means to keep walking, one foot in front of the other. Walking takes time. It takes endurance, but it is elementary. It's basic. To walk in the truth is relatively simple, but it can be very challenging for adults because we imagine that this is so basic, I've moved on beyond this. But the starting point of Christianity is what you keep walking in. When we first become aware of this huge gap that exists between my sinfulness and God's holiness, we become very broken. And our hearts are moved by the Holy Spirit to call out to Christ to forgive us and to cleanse us of our sins and cause us to, to hunger for His ways. That's how we enter into the kingdom of of heaven. We, we become born again by the Spirit, and it changes us. But that's the first step. We keep walking in that pattern. We keep walking. We realize initially that we were not good, let alone great. But walking in the truth means that the more I grow in my awareness of the Christian life, the more I grow in the awareness that I am still a sinner in need of grace. The more aware I am of God's holiness, my sinfulness becomes more apparent. And so like a child walking, you're going to stumble, but you don't just sit in the floor and say, I'm not, this is it, I'm done. No, you get back up and you appreciate that grace again and again and again. As we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit pricks our hearts, and out of the blue, I didn't even realize that I was doing that, and wow, I have to confess this to my Heavenly Father. And growth occurs day by day, 
as you keep walking. You've got to humble yourself daily and pick up your cross and follow Him. And that humility allows more room for the love of God to flourish. That's where real life is. It fills our hearts. As it says in verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. And this is truth and love in us. Now, verse 5 and 6, John says this is really not complicated. It's, it's, it's walking in love is, is not complicated. And, and it really doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes in our worlds, we like more complication than is needed. But in verse 5, it says, Now, I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one we have heard from the beginning. Isn't it nice that John didn't say, now, if you would go down to your Barnes and Nobles or your Amazon and get this latest book that has just come out, this will solve all your problems. He doesn't say that. He's not marketing anything new. He's giving us what we need. As I'm writing to you not a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we what? Love one another. It's not complicated. Have you ever read a book that, doesn't, that really didn't need to be written? Okay, yes. I'm not alone. Whatever thesis that they had to propose, whatever proposal they could have done in their introduction, they could have just ended at the end of that introduction. Well, this is what this postcard letter is. It's sufficiently short to bring us to the collective recognition that this is not complicated. The love of God is not complicated and can be learned by any regenerate believer. Anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit can put this into practice. Love one another. That's it. That's it. Yes, it's it. But sin will try to make it hard for you to obey. It's simple, but you have to let the Holy Spirit assist you in your relational wisdom. Jeremy's ears just picked up. The Holy Spirit can assist us in our relational wisdom. This fall, in our disciple class midweek, we took time to think more practically what loving one another might look like, and we need those times to think. But we also need to take a step back and realize, in the end, it's really very simple. It's really loving. Putting a pattern together, like, like children who, who are trying to trace out their letters, right? Trace out that letter A, do the up, and then you come down, and then you do the cross through the... And A is for apple, and L is for the love of God. Sometimes we've got to erase and we've got to start over. But over time and sensitivity, the love of God begins to flow. It's a little blueprint. We use this little blueprint in, in our midweek time together. It was called self-aware, others-aware, God-aware. Just a very simple acrostic, acrostic, SOG, it was called. But you know, there's really nothing new under the sun. When I was a kid, it was called joy. 
Jesus, others, and you. Maybe you heard that yourself growing up. But again, it's not complicated. Walking in the love of God is something that every born-again believer can do. Even as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and you might think, wow, Jesus was expressing a lot to us there. The teachings of Jesus at root are very simple. Redirecting anger away from people towards sin is the way in which you manifest the love of God for other people. Looking at others with compassion rather than lust. Speaking honestly to others with an innocent heart. Finding ways to bless those who curse you, that's the love of God. Praying for those who persecute you, that's the love of God. Forgiving those who, who seek reconciliation with you, that's the love of God. Finding peace and contentment in this life and storing up treasure in heaven, that's, that's the love of God right there. And by doing these things, you're going to know what is real and that which is not real. That's where real life is found. And to overcome deception and keep yourselves, you've got to keep yourselves in the love of God. That's where it's found, and that's where you need to keep yourself. You don't have to go anywhere else, and how beautiful that is. Now, the world, as I said, is all around us is so full of deception. And in fact, this time of year, in which we celebrate the light of the world, can be some of the most hard times to put this into practice. We enjoy the, the gift-giving traditions, and we can, we can put a lot of hope, we can put a lot of faith in the trappings of the season. But we need to remember, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Be careful about putting too much expectation on the, the joy that you expect from that family gathering. You may, in the end, be wanting more for yourself than you are giving out towards others. Don't put too much expectation on a political candidate or even a constitutional process. We have to put all of our hope and expectation upon the goodness of our Heavenly Father. He will not disappoint us in any way, shape, or form. And by living in the love of God, you will also avoid the bitter disappointment of the world's deceit. Let's put into practice the love of God for one another through this season. Again, let's hit this home. To overcome deception, keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's pray.